Good morning. Please stand and open to God's Word in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. It's good to be back. We were out of town last week and visited a church in Newport, Oregon, and we missed our church family, so we're glad to be back. Pastor Ryan's preaching at Crossroads Bible Church down in Kennewick, Um, so I get a privilege to share God's Word with you this morning. And we will be in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. The title of the section in your Bible is probably called something like this, You Must Be Born Again. So let's read John 3, verses 1 through 15. This is God's word. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is God's word. Please be seated. Have you ever been the recipient or maybe the speaker of comments like this? You are such a nice young man, or you're such a nice young lady. You must be a Christian. What church do you go to? If you've been on the receiving end of comments like these, or and have been taken back, or if you have spoken something like this, hopefully you rethink. I have a good friend of mine. In fact, my wife asked me last night to invite him, and I was too nervous to do that. But this friend of mine, a well-kept blonde hair, blue-eyed guy often tells me that people just assume that he goes to church just based on how he looks. What's hilarious and honestly scary about this friend of mine is that he doesn't believe in God and hasn't been to church in years. So why do some people assume this man is religious? And why do we sometimes make assumptions like this about people? We all know it's not right to judge someone based on outward appearance when doing it in a negative light. A rough individual walks into a store, and the store clerk may want to exercise caution. 
with this individual, but in today's world, they certainly cannot act on that judgment. But isn't it equally wrong to assume that the nice-looking guy with their collared shirt tucked in and their hair parted to the side is a good person as well? Or what about the pretty lady in a nice, long, modest dress wearing a head covering? She must be religious. Scripture would say this, if you show partiality based on outward appearance, you are committing sin, and you're frankly being unwise. We're going to look at today the example of John chapter 3 of Nicodemus, who was actually far from God, yet to most was the good, moral, religious guy that all would have been surprised to hear when Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Here's Jesus' summary of Nicodemus. It does not matter who you are or even what you know, but only if you have been born again. So we'll look at Nicodemus and then we'll dig into this idea of new birth. But before that, let's start with seeing who this character Nicodemus is. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, which means a separated one separated from the common people to dedicate their life to serving and to knowing God. He was, as the text says, a ruler of the Jews. You might think of a well-known, well-known pastor in our day, maybe a seminary professor. He was a teacher of Israel. He was the one you would go to with questions about God. He was the one with authority of interpretation of Hebrew Scripture. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was a prestigious religious group of the Pharisees. He was the man. If there was anybody who would know about the coming Messiah, it would be this guy, a dedicated man of God who knew Scripture and was awaiting for the Messiah. So it seems appropriate when we see Nicodemus meeting with Jesus here in our passage. After all, Nicodemus knows Jesus is a, quote, teacher from God. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, which most likely is to not be seen by others, which is our first red flag. Nicodemus tells Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things unless God is with him. Good so far. Nicodemus acknowledges that Jesus is important and has good things to say. But how does God respond, and is Christ impressed with who Nicodemus is? Verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I was reading this passage this morning, and I, I thought maybe Nicodemus came with some other questions he wanted to ask. And God stops him and said, no. We're talking about being born again, and that's all we're going to talk about. Jesus doesn't give Nicodemus a pass because of his status or because of who he is, but he cuts to the heart of the gospel. Jesus doesn't assume Nicodemus knows the gospel because he is religious. In fact, maybe quite the opposite. Nicodemus responds in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Probably laughing says this, Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Before we go much further, let's answer two questions that are appropriate. Number one, why does Jesus ask this question to Nicodemus? And two, does Nicodemus have any idea what Jesus is talking about? It seems that Jesus is trying to cut right through all the outward religion of Nicodemus and really see where his heart is at. 
You see, you could not have anybody more religious in that day than Nicodemus. He was the cat's meow. Think of the resume of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Nicodemus could say similar things, but Jesus was not concerned with Nicodemus's resume. He only wanted to talk about Nicodemus's heart. We so often get impressed by what people have or who they are that we don't stop and think, do they know Christ? It's kind of like assuming someone plays golf because they wear a polo or someone owns a boat because they wear boat shoes. Right? We don't do those things. We shouldn't do those things. We see by Nicodemus' response in verse 4 and verse 9 that shows up that he has no idea what Jesus is talking about. Verse 4, how can a man be born when he and he is old? And then verse 9, how can these things be? It's obvious Nicodemus' response that he doesn't understand the idea of new birth, and even more so, he doesn't know who Jesus truly is. He thinks Jesus is only a teacher come from God, and he doesn't recognize Jesus as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He also doesn't receive the testimony of Christ. Hear what Jesus says in verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Nicodemus does not believe Jesus. Verse 12, I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? For most around Nicodemus, he was the example of what to follow. He was the religious guy. He was devout, and yet, from Jesus, we see he was far from God. Hear similar things by Christ in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, says Christ, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We've all heard the Paul, Wash Paul Washer sermon about that, right? Shocking youth message where he kind of walks through that Matthew 7 passage. If you haven't heard it, listen to that. Paul Washer, shocking youth message on Matthew 7. So let this be a warning to us that we do not make assumptions about others or even ourselves because of what we know or who we are. There is a great stigma that we've all heard about PKs, right? What is a PK? I know one person can answer this. Pastor, he raised his hand. Pastor's kid, right? Now I hope and pray that my kids love the Lord Jesus because they have repented of their sin through Christ and placed their faith in him. But it would be wrong of me and you to assume that my children know the Lord just because I do. Same with me. It would be wrong of me to assume your children know the Lord just because you do. And it's equally wrong to assume that someone who just shows up to church one day is a Christian. We are to measure someone's faith not by how they look or what they have done, and even more by what they know, but by 
who they know. We've all shared the gospel with people, right, many times over and over again. And they could repeat the gospel to us, but they don't believe that gospel as a life-saving message of Christ. So here's an example, I think, of what's called pop culture. So I have heard lots of chatter about Taylor Swift lately and understand her concerts are massive. Now, to be clear, I don't know one song Taylor Swift sings, but I know what she looks like. But if I could sing all of her songs, and if I were to go to her concerts and buy her merch, would I then know her? No. We only know Taylor Swift, or even more so Christ, if they let us know them. Hear Jesus' words in John chapter 6, one of my favorite passages in John 6. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. With Christ, it is not what you have done or who you are that makes you a Christian, but what you know or who you know. And what I mean by that, it's transforming knowledge. It's not just repeating back the same thing, but it's who you know that gives you transforming knowledge. Nicodemus did not know Christ as the Son of God. For Scripture says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. By the statements from Christ about Nicodemus, we have to assume that that's him. But we do have hope with him at the end, which we'll come back to. So the question we have to ask is this. How does one come to know Jesus Christ? Jesus tells us here in John 3, this happens when a person is born again. So then, what does it mean to be born again? And I've battled this for weeks. I'm not going to say it in his accent, but St. Clair Ferguson says this. Being born again means to be born from above. Born again means to be born from above. Let us review what our text says to make sure we see this. Jesus tells Nicodemus in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 7, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. In verse 15, Christ says that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Here is what we see, and this is throughout the Gospel of John. Believing in Jesus, not just acknowledging who he is, happens when a person is born again. Nicodemus' first response to Jesus may be our first response when we hear this idea about being born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It's clear that he has no idea what being born again means. The fact that he's asking if, he's, if being born again is being born from his mother shows his confusion. Jesus explains that this new birth is a birth of water and the Spirit. Of water and the Spirit. And there is much to be read about this, and I think even my interpretations changed since I spent time in this passage. But let's look at it. This idea of being water, being born of water and the Spirit. At first, one may think this is referring to natural birth from one's mother, water birth, and then spiritual birth from one's father, our father in heaven. And although these are both required for new birth, that's probably not what our text is referencing. Even in a, in a new movie that's out, 
talks about this passage and the idea of how water baptism was being spoken about. And although baptism is a command and a picture of what it means to be made new, it's probably, again, not what's being referenced here. When water is referenced as a requirement for new birth, what we are supposed to see is the cleansing work of God through the Word of God. The cleansing work of God through the Word of God. We can trace this theme throughout Scripture and look at just a few passages this morning, starting in the New Testament and then moving back to the Old Testament. Let's look at one of my favorite passages about this theme in Ephesians chapter 5. And speaking to husbands, says this, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That You're turning there. Let me just give it a second here. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present her to the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Like water washing the dirt off of an old car, so too the word of God washes or cleanses a person and makes them without spot or wrinkle, holy and without blemish. Let's go to another one in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1.23 says this, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Again, we are born again by the imperishable seed of the word of God. Also think of the parable of the sower and the seed that takes root and grows. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another sixty and another thirty. The word of God gives life brings continual cleansing, which leads to obedience to the believer. We are born of water, which is the life-giving word of God, as referenced in Philippians chapter 2. The life-giving word of God. Now let's look at three passages in the Old Testament with a very similar theme. Again, one of my favorites in this context, Ezekiel 36, verse 25. We'll actually read this twice, once now and once in a few minutes. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from your idols I will cleanse you. Again, the same idea of water bringing cleansing. And we also see a similar yet different theme throughout Scripture of circumcision. Here, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. So a similar yet different theme throughout Scripture, Deuteronomy 30. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So not a washing here, but similarly a removing that leads to love and obedience. Here's what Jeremiah 31 states. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
all three of these Old Testament passages speak of an internal change that empowers a person to love and obey God's word. We are to see the cleansing work of the word of God along with the power of the spirit throughout these passages. God's word is like or God's word along with his spirit is like a flood washing everything in its path, removing the old and making room for the new. When we hear Christ say, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, don't hear two births or two events, but one new birth with two agents working. One birth, two agents working. God's word and God's spirit. If the word of God is new birth by the water, by water, then what does Christ mean by spirit? Well, I think this one's a little bit more straightforward. New birth is something that happens from above, meaning it's not something that we do on our own. For John 1.13 states this, We are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The word spirit cannot be speaking about man's spirit in John 3 because man is full of sin and separated from God. We cannot make ourselves reborn. And I think if we could have, Nicodemus would have done that, right? He would have known how to do that, but that was up to him. The spirit from above or the Holy Spirit is what's being referenced here. Listen to Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He, God, saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is very similar language to the work of the cleansing water of the word. Let's go to 1 John. Here, 1 John 2.29, which tells us that he who is righteous has been born of God. In the next chapter of 1 John, we hear, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Those that are born of God or born by the Spirit do not practice sin, but righteousness. So again, we're seeing this change in a person. In chapter 4, we learn that those born of God love others. They love God. In chapter 5 of 1 John, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And those that have been born of God overcome the world. This new birth is not something that man does, but an act that only God can do. He does this work through the cleansing work of his word and his spirit. We are not born again first by the word, then by the spirit. We are born again by the word and by the spirit, both working together, two agents with one goal and one work. Finally, let's go back to Ezekiel 36 that references both agents of new birth. And I'm really going to, hone in on the word I here. This is all what God does in this passage. I think there's seven of them. Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. I will remove the heart of stone from the flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. Be careful to obey my rules. So who does that work in Ezekiel 36? God does, right? I, that's who's, that's who's talking there, is God. God does that work. 
When Jesus references being born of water and the Spirit, he is not referencing two births, but one birth with two agents. God working by his word and by his Spirit. The birth is a washing or a removing of the old to make room for the new. Think of a new, of new paint for your house. We did some work yesterday and this was on my mind. So think of, think of when you paint your house, you first wash your home, then you remove any impurities, maybe you sand it down so that the house can hold the new paint, right? There's work that has to be done before the new can go on. So too, God has to remove your, our impurities. Our sinful, stony heart has to go before the new heart, the new birth of flesh can be molded by our maker. What makes us difficult is this work of God is invisible. right? We don't see this work happening necessarily. Unlike natural birth, which can be visibly seen, spiritual birth is not necessarily seen. Our text, in speaking of this, uses the analogy of wind. You hear the sound of wind, you can see the effects of wind, but you cannot see wind. We were just at the beach last week, and the one day we tried to go fly kites, there was almost no wind, believe it or not. And I told my wife, I can see the wind, and she goes, you can't see wind. I said, I know that, but you can see the wind moving things, right? Although we cannot see when new birth happens, we can see the effects of new birth just like we can see the effects of wind. I can always tell when it's been windy outside. I go to our back patio and our, and our umbrella has fallen over, right? So I don't see the wind, but I see the effects of wind. One of the clearest effects of new birth, as in Ezekiel 36 states, is walking in God's statutes and obeying his rules. John 14 says almost the same thing. If you love me, you could say, if you're born again, you will keep my commandments. Psalm 119 says this, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. When a person is born again, they are literally a new person. There's a cutting away or washing of the old heart and then receiving a new heart. Their desires change from selfish, fleshy desires to a desire for the Lord and his word. And that's a work only God can do. In fact, even this morning in our catechism question, question 37, talked about the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts, comforts, guides us, gives us spiritual gifts, gives us desires, helps us obey God's word. Those are all things that God does in and through the life of a believer once they're born again. I remember the first time I was asked to share with a group of people my testimony, how I came to the Lord, and it was helpful as I was gathering my thoughts and I was thinking through kind of before and after I got saved, and I realized certain things had changed in my thinking without me even realizing it. And this is what happens when someone's born again, right? God changes that person. Before Christ, we live for ourselves. Whatever we want goes, at least we think so. Whatever we think is right is right, at least we think so. But we're born again. We now live for the Lord of glory. We are now subject to what he says. We are his people. This world is his creation. And he has given us his word, which is truth and the standard by which we live. It does not matter what we think is truth, but what God says is truth. 
The latter part of Galatians 2.20 says this, It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is by the work of God through his word and by the spirit that we are born again, and then we are given the gift of faith, as it says in Ephesians 2, verse 8. We are given the gift of faith. Now, there are those who claim to be born again, yet there is no cleansing in them. There's no obedience to the things of God and no desire for holiness. And this is one of the challenges of us in the work of God in new birth. We literally can't see this work happening. However, we can see the effects of it. Through time, we will see if the supposed born-again person is showing signs of new life. All those passages we just read, those will come to fruition through time. At some level, we will see those happening. <clears throat> Lost my place here. Through time, we'll see if the supposed person is born again, they'll show signs of new life. And there's a doctrinal word for this called the regeneration. This means this, the action of the Holy Spirit who transform the lives of those given the gift of faith so they experience a new birth and salvation through Jesus Christ. This is called regeneration. We will all grow and change into a new person differently. Some of us, God will change overnight. Some of us will take years. We all know this, right? We can say amen. But if we are born again, we are new people in Christ. Ezekiel talks about we're given a new heart. Our heart of stones removed and our heart of flesh is put in there. Change will come. This is sanctification or growing in holiness. Some of us will have dramatic, life-changing stories, and hopefully every child in this room will have more of a boring story. And they'll something like this. I've grown up in church my whole life. My parents discipled me. My pastors met with me. And then one day I realized the faith that I've heard about my whole life, I finally believe. That's a testimony we want to have, right? We don't have to have a dramatic conversion story to be born again, but we do have to be born again. So what is this? So how does this work from above happen? It happens by the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God. And that's why we can turn to passages like Romans 10 that mean so much. We are to preach the Word and share the mess with others so that God can work through His Word by His Spirit. Let's read part of Romans 10. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. One sentence later says this, So then faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We are to preach God's word, and that's how God works in and through his means to regenerate hearts. And again, it doesn't happen every time. We've all shared the gospel with people over and over and over again. But there are those that God says, at this point, that's when I'm going to regenerate you. That's when I'm going to make you born again. And we trust in the means, and we share with what God's given us. This work of regeneration or being born again is a monergistic work, meaning it's one work or you could say one person working, and that person is God. Think to all the I statements in Ezekiel 36. 
And that's done by the Spirit working through the Word. We cannot make ourselves reborn just like a dead man cannot make himself rise from the dead. We read the first part of um, John 11 this morning about Lazarus, the dying of Lazarus. In two weeks, probably, we're going to read about the raising of Lazarus. So how does Lazarus raise from, how does Lazarus raise from the dead? Jesus says, Lazarus, rise forth, or something like that, right? Lazarus isn't making himself rise from the dead. God is speaking to this dead corpse and telling him to rise from the grave. <clears throat> the word of God is to be preached or shared to a dead man. God then works faith through this person, regenerates them, making them alive so that they can now receive the message of the gospel and believe in him. This work is both for non-believers, God's calling to himself, and a continual work for believers. God works in and through his word and spirit for those that know him. We read in John chapter 4, we won't read it this morning, but in the next chapter of our, of our gospel here, that God says this, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And it tells us that God is seeking such people to worship him. But we do that in spirit and in truth. We are born from the word of God and his spirit and we continue to grow from the word of God and his spirit. So what are we to do with those that claim to be born again yet to us look and act like they always have or look and act like the world? First, we are to wait. We're to see how God's Spirit works in this individual. As most of you know, every potential member here at Redeeming Grace, we go through membership process and we meet with them. We meet with you. Most of you we met with, or you were before me. <laughs> and we want to sit down and we want to know with every potential new member if they know Christ, if they are born again. We do this by, by meeting with them. We have a meal. We go over some questions. They fill out a question, questionnaire beforehand. And our goal there is not to see if they're perfect, but if they love God, if they've been transformed by his spirit. That's the goal. With some, it's obvious. You know, we, we can tell this right away. And with some, we have to slow down. And we might have to meet with somebody else. We might have to read a book and just slow down and really understand and work through what the gospel is. And these are good and right things. What we're looking for is, is an understanding of what the gospel is and to see how the gospel has affected this person in new life. We look for how God has been working in the individual and we look to see to the best of our ability if they are born again. Again, not looking for perfection, but a pursuit or growth in godliness. What's most encouraging to me, I've already said this, is the person who says, I believed in God as long as I can remember. I've grown up in church. I've been the type of my parents. I've been taught by my pastors. I've been following God as long as I can remember. But even for this person, there is a point where God implants in them new life. Maybe at a young age, maybe at an older age. But that does happen with every person. One of the first teenagers we, teenagers we brought into membership here while I was in leadership made me a little uncomfortable. This person was solid. His parents vouched for him. He said all the right answers. But then in my mind, he was too young and didn't have a conversion story, which I now say praise God. But at the time, it was the first younger person that I had dealt with in leadership. But praise God, through time, I got to know this person very well, and I'm now confident he has been born of God. But if I'm honest, I really didn't know at the time. He was under his parents' influence. He was an obedient child for the most part. I mean, I don't, didn't know him very, very well then, but he was under their influence. But we trusted what he said. We trusted the discipling of his parents. 
we heard the understanding of the gospel, and then we waited to see fruit, and praise God, we did. So then what happens when the reverse happens? We have someone that claims to know Christ but looks far from him, meaning we don't see signs of regeneration. We don't see a desire for God and his word. One thing we can do is we can point them to the example of Nicodemus, and then we can point them to Christ. Nicodemus was a righteous, learned man, and yet was far from God. We are to call them to repentance and to place their faith in Christ, even if they say they've done that. Sometimes they haven't. May we, may we be wrong at times? Possibly. But more than that, we don't want to give people false hope when we're talking about eternal things. It's important for us to remember that we who are outside of Christ, or say that again, it's important for us to remember who we are outside of Christ. We are dead in our sin and guilty of eternal damnation, separated from God forever, for those that are outside of Christ. No man would ever turn to God on his own. This is what Scripture says. No one is righteous, no, not one. No one does good, not even one. Scripture tells us that men love darkness rather than light. Our natural inclination without Christ is darkness, and our supernatural inclination in Christ is light. Through time, we'll see the effects of new birth. We'll see a love of God grow, a love for his word grow. We need to be patient. We will mistakenly try and disciple those who are not born again, and we will probably try and convert those who are already converted. We will make mistakes. It is our responsibility, church, to preach the gospel to ourselves and to others. We are to be seeking the work of God in our lives and be intimate enough with each other to see this work happening in the lives of our brothers and sisters. What can be difficult is if someone comes to church once in a while, they don't stay for things like feasting and fellowship, they're not committed to a Sunday school class or community group, they don't come to corporate prayer, they don't do anything but come to church once in a while, then it's going to be really hard to navigate new life in this individual, both for the individual and for the church trying to disciple this individual. <clears throat> being involved in a local church isn't just going to church on Sunday, but living as a church, or as we often say, a family throughout our lives. I mentioned we visited a church last week. We were out of town, and it was nice to be able to go somewhere and worship God, but it wasn't, we didn't know anybody there, not one person. And we missed you guys, right? Our discipling happens best here at Redeeming Grace. Before we move on from here, though, we want to ask another question, and why this work of regeneration is necessary. Why does Jesus tell Nicodemus, you must be born again? It's necessary because our creator God is holy and we are not. In fact, we are sinful. We have sinned against our creator and deserve the wages of sin, which is death. Nothing we can do will earn our right standing before God. No good works or righteousness that we can do on our own will overcome the sin in the face of our holy God. Scripture tells us that all of our good works are as filthy rags in front of God. We have no hope on our own. <clears throat> the last two verses in our passage say this, back in John 3, or the last couple of verses. And as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so, the, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then the last verse says this of John 3, 
Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Our passage ends with Christ telling Nicodemus that he did not receive what Christ was saying, nor did he believe in him. Nicodemus needed to believe in Christ through new birth, or he would not see eternal life, and the wrath of God would remain on him. So what does this mean? It means that Jesus is the only way for salvation. Just as the example of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness and all who look to him would be healed, so too all who look to Jesus who are born again will believe and be saved. You see, we all have a sickness that leads to death and then that death leads to hell. We need our sins forgiven and are called to turn to Christ. For Nicodemus, for you, even me, we are not. if we are not born again, then we are not saved. As I kind of learned about Nicodemus, he does come up a few more times in the gospel, which is interesting. So we see him in John 7, defending Christ, and we see him again in John 19 at Jesus' burial. So it looks good. It looks like Jesus discipled him here, started to evangelize to him. It looks like he was born again. We don't know that. You may have your assumptions, that's fine. But he does come back up. And we do know here that he needed to be born again to inherit eternal life. You too need to be born again. And unfortunately, if you are not, you can't do this on your own. You cannot buy new birth. You cannot earn new birth. You can only receive new birth. But like Nicodemus approaching Jesus here in our chapter, Jesus starts there and he starts working and he starts asking. He starts prodding. That may be happening to you today. Maybe it's been happening to you for a long time. You and I need Christ for our forgiveness of sins. We need him to work in our life and to make us new creations. We need the light that only Christ can offer. And through time, we will see this new life blossom and grow into maturity. So for those of you that that aren't born again, or maybe, maybe don't think you're born again, here's what scripture would say. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Let us now seek the Lord in prayer for him to work in in our hearts and the hearts of the lost so that while we engage them with the gospel, God might awaken them to new life. Father, we thank you for your word and how it instructs us. We thank you that you work in us to make us born again, and you continue to work in us to make us more like Christ. Thank you for your word and for your spirit. Continue to call anyone here to yourself if they do not yet know you. Work in the hearts of those that do. May all who know you and those who will know you, may this be true of us. Out of their hearts may rivers of living water flow. Father, help us to receive what you've told us. Help us to trust in you, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.